0: Most of us need some kind of catharsis right now. Depending on your situation, what that looks like might be different. The pandemic is a year old this month. I've been working from home since last March. If you have kids, they've likely been doing school from home too. We're probably used to it by now. This is just the way life is, but the changes we've had to adjust to can be a little overwhelming. Hopefully this episode will provide something therapeutic. As parents, we've asked our kids to make extraordinary life changes. We've asked them to be okay with going to school through a little screen. We've asked them to be okay with not seeing their friends for a while. These are choices we've made to keep them healthy and safe. And we have to trust our gut that the choices we've made are for their good. I think parents all deal with a fair share of myths and criticism. Everyone has opinions about what really is best for children. During the pandemic, a lot of parents have allowed their kids more screen time than normal. They're already going to school online. Because we've asked them to sacrifice a lot of their social connections as they play out in person, we're being a little bit more lenient for how they connect online. Through social media or virtual games like Fortnite and Roblox, our kids can maintain important friendships online. But what about screen time? I'm doing air quotes. Those notions and myths surrounding screen time and internet use of kids. What's too much screen time? And is screen time not actually as bad as we think it is? Especially now when screen time is a replacement for so many of the things we've asked them to give up. Is it time to stop considering screen time separate from just lifetime? In this episode, I'll be speaking to three experts on youth development and screen time who also happen to be parents. First, we'll hear Sasha Brodsky. He's a science and technology journalist who recently wrote an article for LifeWire called Parents Say Yes to Screen Time During the Pandemic, where he talked to several parents and experts, letting them vent their concerns, but also justify their decisions two experts featured in the article are also with us for this episode. Lynette Owens, founder and global director for internet safety for kids and families at Trend Micro. She dedicates a majority of her time leading workshops that educate parents and caregivers on topics related to children and internet use. And Dr. Mimi Ito, a cultural anthropologist who you actually met in my last episode and a learning scientist at University of California, Irvine. She's an expert on children and use changing relationships to media and technology. Thanks for joining us today as we explore the concerns, questions and justifications surrounding our kids and screen time and have a good vent about one of a million difficult decisions parents have made during this pandemic. This is no such thing. A podcast about learning in the digital age. I'm Mark Lesser. I I got to talk with Sasha, yes, as a tech reporter, but more so as a parent. It struck me how many parents responded to his article saying they felt understood and comforted. It felt like Sasha got to find the comfort he needed as well. What he gathered from this and his experience speaking to so many parents and caregivers was the kids are going to be all right.
1: I'm Sasha Brodsky, I'm a freelance journalist based in New York City, and I'm a regular technology contributor to LifeWire News. I've got two kids, uh, a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, which makes me particularly interested in the effects of technology on children.
0: Thanks a ton for doing this. I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about um, this article. I'm also excited to uh, just have a, a moment of therapy. Um, you and I are both parents of school-age children and I wanted to ask you first and foremost, um, was was your article most recently in LifeWire, life imitating art or art, art imitating life?
1: <laughs> you know, that's a really good question because as a parent of a 10-year-old and a 12-year-old, uh, this issue of screen time and children and how to manage the two during a pandemic has been a constant um, source of anxiety for my wife and myself. Uh, we wrestle with it every day. So when I saw uh, some online conversation about what should be done exactly, it struck me that this would make a great article. And I got an overwhelming response from parents, uh, dozens and dozens of people writing in and um really it felt like I struck a nerve because I think this is something that a lot of parents are dealing with.
0: Yeah. Um, tell tell me what, uh, it, to the extent that you feel comfortable, tell me what's been happening at, at, your home in relation to screen time. Is everybody completely on the same page about uh, how to handle this during COVID? Well,
1: you know, for the most part, my wife and I decided at the beginning of the pandemic that we were gonna be pretty much hands off in terms of screen time. Um, We wanted to make sure that our kids were doing activities that were safe and um, weren't interfering with their schoolwork or any other parts of their lives. But at the same time, we recognized that this was an incredibly unusual situation. And any way we could get through it, we felt like this was what we were gonna do. So we've pretty much let the kids do what they want on their screens, um, which isn't something that we would normally feel comfortable with. But in these circumstances, I think it's worked out
0: prior to the article, were there things that, that you felt like, personally, you had learned from this experience as a parent about, you know, maybe, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in this topic from the vantage point of what are we learning as parents that makes us better at um, being mediators of digital learning and, and digital interaction? And, and I'm curious, before you dove into the article, were there things that you felt like, you know, two months in, like, hey, I'm a little bit more savvy at this point. Um, Maybe you had better process with with your wife or um, just sort of knew what to look for.
1: Yes, they did. I mean, um, I would say that it was a learning process um, throughout the pandemic as we navigated these really unusual circumstances and tried to figure out what was the best way forward with our kids and their screen time. One of the things that we learned that it was really important to make sure that we understood what they were looking at all the time. Mm. Um, And we did that by just constantly checking in with them. We set some screen time limits on their particular devices, um, some parental control settings, but also had conversations with them continuously about what were good things to be doing and what were bad things to be doing. So that was a learning experience for us. But for the most part, I feel like the lesson was the kids are going to be all right. This use of screens is not the end of the world, um, that there are good things coming out of it as well as bad things. Uh, We feel like they will come out of this, you know, as developed human beings and are not (laughs) retreating into a corner of their rooms for the rest of their lives.
0: Yeah the kids will be all right (laughs) is uh definitely took a couple of months um no matter how much anybody as a a parent or a caregiver knew it in in their heart uh or in their mind It definitely took us a couple of months, and and, uh, so so there were some distinct points of view that came up from the sources you expanded on in the article, and I'm hoping you would just do a little overview of what those points of view were. Absolutely.
1: So, yes, I did get a a wide range of views on screen time and kids. Uh, Parents were very emotional when they talked to me about this. It was really a cathartic experience. For a lot of them because they felt very guilty that they were giving their kids too much screen time and that in some way they would be damaged mm. because all of the parents that i spoke to did recognize that this was not the best possible situation that if this was an ideal circumstance they would not be letting their kids use their screen so much um, they have read about studies that show that uh, increased screen time leads to attention deficit problems, to obesity, to a whole host of, of problems. So it wasn't like they were unaware that this was not the best thing. Hmm. But in fact, the the parents felt that there was, um, there was a, a trade-off there between their sanity and their kids not going completely stir-crazy and being able to use their devices um, more than they normally would have. So really, um, you know, the overarching theme was that um, the parents wanted to make sure their kids were occupied and happy. And during a very difficult situation, um, screens were one way to do that.
0: What were the platforms or the the ways of spending time in media environments that came up for most people that you spoke with? Um, you know, what are what are kids doing during COVID? According to folks you were talking with, the
1: parents that I spoke to said their kids were doing a lot of the things that they normally do, even in non-COVID times, but just more of it. Um, mm-hmm. For example, they spent a lot of time talking with their friends on video chats, on Zoom, on Google Hangouts. Um, they were doing a lot of video gaming. And you know they, they also were taking advantage though of also some uh, online lessons. A number of parents mentioned to me that they had signed their kids up for online classes. Um, some of them were taking private lessons to private dance lessons, private music lessons. And they felt that those were valuable and enriching experiences. Of course, they felt that if they were able to do that in person, it would have been much better. But due to the pandemic, this was a pretty
0: good substitute. Did you hear much about YouTube?
1: Yes, definitely. There was a lot of YouTube use going on. A lot of the kids were spending hours a day on YouTube. And I can say personally, that's something that concerns me as a parent. Because I feel like YouTube can be um, uncensored in a way that could be harmful to kids. In some ways, I would rather have them doing games where at least I know what the content is. But to have your kids freely browsing YouTube is problematic. And that's a concern that a number of parents raised with me.
0: One of the things I was really excited to hear more about is... uh, you mentioned that you've had a pretty unprecedented amount of feedback on the article since it's publishing and, and there are going to be all kinds of uh, pointers to the article in the show notes and, and um, people can read the original article, but I'm also, I was interested to use the show as a moment to also uh, surface some of what came to you afterwards and what you were hearing from folks who had read it Uh, in their sort of post-article reflection, what were the the themes that emerged? The overarching
1: theme that I got from parents who responded to the article was gratitude. A, A lot of parents just feel very guilty about how their kids are handling the pandemic, about what their role is. And they're getting messaging from a lot of sources saying that Too much screen time is bad. There was a recent article in the New York Times with some pretty alarmist statements talking about addiction and screen time and throwing a lot of bad terminology there. But when parents read this article, they felt that they weren't alone in this. They explained to me that they were trying to figure out how to deal with this crisis and wanted to make sure their kids were safe and happy, but not um, let them go uh, too far into the realms of the unknown in uh, in terms of the internet. Mm. And also um, they just were very happy to see that other parents were um, dealing with the same situation and had come to some of the same conclusions, which is that more screen time is fine right now our kids are not gonna be destroyed for life. And one interesting thing that I've noticed with my kids and something that parents who I interviewed spoke to me is that in some ways, my kids are drawing back from the internet. I think that they've been overexposed and they are sick of it. They would like to go back to normal life and have more limits on screen time. Um, And I think there's a possibility that at least for some kids, this could lead to a rejection of um, so much online time uh, after the pandemic's over, which is counter to what a lot of experts are saying, um, talking about addiction and how kids will never be um, able to break this habit afterwards. And I'm not getting the sense from my own experience and from what other parents are telling me that that's necessarily the case.
0: As you dug into some of the biggest concerns for parents, were there any that you actually validated where you saw things that were alarming or did most of it feel like sort of uh, unsupported mythology that we were just sort of gravitating to culturally but not necessarily in uh, in a scientific way? Uh,
1: For the most part, I would defer to the science and to the experts on this. Um, I think they're doing more longitudinal studies than my just talking to a few parents so it's really anecdotal evidence but i would say that most of the parents that i spoke to were not saying the kind of uh, ill effects from screen time that they had been reading about and that you hear about such as problems with attention problems with um eating disorders and um exposure to violence Mm
0: -hmm. and in fact
1: most of the uh, screen time was pretty benign and in some cases really helpful. I think that was a a common theme throughout uh, all my conversations with people is that they saw a lot of positive benefits to screen time and I could say for as a parent myself I would go insane if my parents if my kids were not uh, on screens as much as they are Uh, Just because of these unprecedented close quarters, I have a lot to get done. And if they don't have a steady distraction, then, um, you know, I'm not going to be able to function effectively. And that's something I heard over and over again from parents, is that they needed these screens to help uh, babysit their kids. And maybe that's not a wonderful thing or an ideal situation, but it's the reality that many parents are facing particularly in households where both parents are working.
0: It's funny you mention about uh, all of the directions that experts are sort of looking at uh, the data. I noticed this just this week before you and I were going to talk, American Educational Research Association in their their monthly um, journal published a, a a paper by um, Davis and Grooms and and some other authors about um, parent mental health during COVID nineteen and and basically making the case for. Um, more school districts covering mental health, uh, figuring out how to cover and support mental health supports for educator proxies, in this case, parents um, during COVID. And, and uh, the, you know, they're looking at data around diagnosis of things like general anxiety disorder and, and, uh, and others. And, you know, b- based on number of children at home and, you um, uh, demographics and other observations, and and it's an interesting paper. I will link to it. Uh, give you a link to AERA in the show notes. Um, Sasha, I really appreciate you spending time with us to talk about the article, and uh, thank you for the reporting. and And uh, I hope you will hang in there as a as a parent. And and I I hope all of us sort of show up on the other sides stronger as parents and and as partners in our kids' learning.
1: Marco, it was a pleasure talking to you.
0: Hey friends, quick pause. I want to tell you to find us on facebook.com slash no such thing podcast. There's a pinned post there. That is a listener survey. It would be a huge favor to the show for you to spend less than four minutes giving us a little bit of info about you. It helps me and the rest of the gang. And there is a gang, uh, produce an awesome show. Thanks for doing that. If you like the show, go back to wherever you downloaded it like rate and review i'm grateful thanks we're now going to recap my talk with lynette owens founder of trend micro's internet safety for kids and families. She works with parents around the globe, training them and their children on internet topics like privacy and screen time. She also has two kids of her own, so this topic spoke to her as well.
2: My name is Lynette Owens, and I'm the founder and global director of Trend Micro's Internet Safety for Kids and Families program. And for the last 13 years, I've been studying and um, talking to communities around the world about the intersection of parenting and technology. Over the last year, I've been reconsidering what that intersection
0: looks like. First of all, Lynette, huge thanks for doing this. I'm really excited that we're uh, we're getting to have this conversation. It's, um, I can only imagine, an interesting year for your program at Trend Micro and, uh, and all of the ways you've had to sort of show up for kids and families. Um, I wanted to actually give you a minute to just talk about Trend Micro's, uh, the, the program that you founded, and um, how it is you sort of arrived at this role after, you know, a, a career outside of media literacy proper.
2: Well, it's it's interesting when I reflect on your question, because in some ways, I feel it was pretty deliberate on my part to choose to go down this path. And in other ways, um, I think it was also fate that brought me here. Um, and it was a combination of an observation about the work that we do as a corporation. And that is, we often worry about what's bad on the internet, who the bad people are. And um, we make solutions to help protect them. But in the course of thinking about that very big vision of trying to keep the world safe um, online, and also at the same time becoming a mother for the first time, I realized that Technology alone couldn't do it. It needed to be coupled with something else, and that something else was education. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: We needed to uh, keep up with informing people how these technologies work, what the impact on our lives was, because of the technology um, and and the challenge since then has been that the pace of the technology itself has far outweighed the the pace at which we are able to keep up with it
0: we're talking about this story around what you know in, in part around what parents are learning about screen time during COVID, and one of the things I hoped you would offer some perspective on is to just start to, to, like, let's give, um, get clear with folks about what science actually exists around screen time. Um, You're involved with Several major organizations around, you know, media literacy and and kids and families um, who are all sort of, as you just said, sort of trying to keep pace with what's developing. Um, If you what are you hearing from that ecosystem that you're involved with? What do we actually know about screen time versus what's speculated with um, with respect to screen time, and it's it's resulting developmental considerations.
2: That's a big question and a lot to unpack there because um, because there's so many forces at, at play when you think about screen time, and I, and I think the first thing to think about is what you what what the person considering screen time is thinking about. Um, you know, are we worried about the passivity of the consumer of that screen time. Are we, are we worried about the the purpose of the screen time? Um, and and therefore, I think in some ways it's a false flag to say screen time is bad and and screen time is good. And most of the organizations and experts that I've spoken to and worked with over the years, we all have come to a similar conclusion, and that is, you need to you need to step back and say and ask yourself those questions. What are you actually concerned about? It's different from 13 years ago to even just five years ago, where there was more of a a hesitancy to even expose our children or allow screen time to be any part of their lives. And and the irony of that is the television still existed and was already a very, very big part of their lives. Hmm. So this was specifically internet-connected, Screen time. But uh, as school systems have begun to adopt these models of uh, teaching and inclusion of technology in the classrooms, in you know, models like one to one school systems, and um, a- as well as the simultaneous increase of app developers who are focused on those tools and those websites and those apps that can be supplement the (laughs) the educational experience, I think the barrier has come down. And now there's more of an acceptance that screens aren't really something I can wish away or hold off in my child's life until X age. Um, It is something that's going to become an integral part of their lives in early ages, and by the way, an important skill they need to learn for their futures. Mm -hmm. So I I think the, the recognition that screen time is all bad or all good, is something everyone continues to debate. And I think we're finally moving towards the more nuanced conversation, and that is which screen time is bad and which screen time is good. When I hear parents fret about screen time, I think they are on the surface generally concerned about the total time that they're on a device, you know, on the very surface. But then as you speak to them and as you sort of ask them to break that down a little more, they're really concerned about, the time that's unproductive, at at best, and at worst, the time that's really unhealthy. Um, So as an example, uh, gaming tends to be an area that a lot of people hear about, and a lot of parents, particularly this past year, were very concerned about. Um, But I think some of that concern was coupled with guilt. The guilt that but they have no nowhere else to go. There's nowhere else they can spend their time, and I've chosen to keep them home and safe. Hmm. Um, so I think the the more recent definitions of screen time angst are really around the guilt that parents are feeling because they've made the trade off of keeping them and their communities safe, and 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 if they're going to keep them home, what do you replace? The social connections with,
0: yeah. When I when I asked um, another source in the the article um, that uh, we're talking about in this episode, Mimi Ito um, about this, she actually shared a couple of studies that I will link to in the show notes around um, you know students, particularly who are online gaming uh, in multiplayer online setups, so things like Fortnite, um, are actually faring better in some of these studies as it relates to the social and emotional impacts of um, this year uh, than kids who are not. And that you know, really strikes, resonates with me in so many ways, Um, not least as as a parent of a kid of at least one of my children who's super into Fortnite. Um, My girls are really into Roblox now. Um, You know, there are, what you say is absolutely true, that there's the guilt of screen time, Uh, you know, it's, it's, um, is a real situation. But, this is also giving us a a really important lens, I think, into um, what the affordances of some of these experiences are for young people, and I'm excited to share some of these studies with with folks in the show notes. But what I wanted to ask you is, for you, um, what do you think COVID changes about how we view, you know this this term digital citizenship is something that is is at least, what would you say? It does, you know, 10 or 12 years old, right? And um, and it's meant different things over time. And I, I wonder if you feel like this is a moment, you know, this year we've had is a moment yet again to sort of redefine digital citizenship. And do you feel like this year has changed things about how we define it?
2: Yes and no. Yes and no. And And the reason I say that is because I think one of the most important things about digital citizenship is that it's not about teaching kids what not to do. Very often when you you talk to students, as we have done in our program, and you have heard about previous experiences they've had being lectured at, (laughs) about appropriate use of technology, it's very often that list of what you shouldn't be doing. Mm. And I think what we forget, although it's always been a part of digital citizenship, is that we also equally need to spend time showing them and teaching them and role modeling for them how we should be using technology. So in that sense, I think the pandemic did accelerate the adoption of uses of the Internet in ways that maybe some families had been reticent to do, had no reason to. You know, y- you can see this as evidenced by the increase in downloads or subscriptions to streaming services, to uses of video chatting apps like Zoom, for example, and House Party, another. Um and because they were forced to explore these new uses, hmm. it may have opened people's eyes to seeing the Internet in ways they had not realized before and realizing the benefits that were always there for them, but didn't didn't notice before. And so I, I think, again, as an answer to your question, does it change what digital citizenship means? Um no, in terms of, I still believe it is is about those four issues around teaching kids what the risks are and how to avoid them. You know, basic literacy skills, meaning how do I, how do I use things like privacy features or even search for credible information online? Uh, behavior: How do I treat others uh, in the communities in which I'm gathering online? And finally mastery? How do I use this in ways that are good for me, good for others, and good for the world around me? That has always been what makes digital citizenship so important. And that does not change because of the pandemic. What I think did change is that it forced people to see all of the sides of the internet, and not just those sides that maybe they were concerned about.
0: Mm. I want to come back to uh, the the question around, you know, this. I, I I guess it's that third category you were just talking about uh, the the mastery of how we use these different environments that are sort of digitally enabled. Um, you know, one of them being, I mentioned before, um, the sort of social element of massive online games. Um, I'm, I'm curious in your work um, at, at Trend Micro and through the program, how you're helping families navigate that specifically when most adults in the house aren't experiencing these things for themselves right so um not everybody has time or in lots and lots of cases the engagement or interest and in, um you know what what these what what kind of skin their kid really likes to play in Fortnite or or um you know what what clan they're a part of in another game um you know, what are what are you all doing to help families sort of navigate those experiences, not have fear override the benefits of some of these things, and really just sort of get smart about um, how to how to leverage the best of these things.
2: I, I think it's uh, the the gaming in general has often felt like the domain of a. A subset of of people, starting even before screens with Dungeons and Dragons. You know, you have what people all know is that um, there are huge fans, but a large majority of parents don't understand why why the fandom, um, and that you know. And then when games, multi, multiplayer games became huge, um, I think that same separation of the communities who love them gravitated to the online spaces and maybe generations before them just still could not grasp why, why Mm -hmm. they were so popular. But I, I think games, more recent versions of games give parents an opportunity to explore them together with their children. And you, you name a few, I mean, Fortnite is, is one, which I think, very wisely took some of what was so popular about first-person shooter games, but but applied uh, concepts similar to Minecraft, which everyone just assumed was a lot younger crowd because there wasn't a lot of uh, gratuitous violence going on, and as you know, the, the victim just disappears in the air in Fortnite they don't show a lot of gore and everything mm-hmm. so some for some reason that became more palatable for parents and there are parents like myself who've actually sat down with their kids and tried to learn these games and so what we do in our program is actually encourage parents from the moment their child asks the question may i get this game And in the process of making that decision or having that conversation, doing a little bit of homework themselves and trying it out together with a child. And as you may have seen in your own home, children light up to teach you what they love and know how to do well and, and want to bring you into that experience with them. And so we definitely encourage parents to, to do this with not just gaming apps, by the way, but even with social media. And we tell them, you do not need to become an avid gamer. You don't even need to play it more than once or twice. But try to understand why your child loves this so much. Mm. And the other benefit of doing this, by the way, early on in this process, as they're setting up the app or setting up the game, make it a challenge together say, wonder what the privacy settings say. Let's, let's see what they do. Let's see what they're collecting. Let's do that together. Can you find them? Um, we really try to encourage parents to be very involved in those early stages um, for any kind of app, again, whether it's gaming or whether it's social media or some other kind of app, um, because it then gives the parent a lens into why. And there are still reasons why I don't, I know why I would never play some of these games for a really long time, but my reasons as a parent is mostly because of time Mm. and all the other things and responsibilities I have. But at least you get a glimpse into why it's fun for them. Um, And the second reason is it, it leaves the door open for conversations later on. Anything that can encourage constant communication between parent and child when it comes to technology, we are huge fans of. So, um, you know, I, I think that we we can't approach we can't approach technology the way that maybe previous generations used to think about rock and roll, used to think about um, different hairstyles. You know, I think this is too important for us to sort of shove into that category. We need to be far more involved in something like this.
0: Yeah, a, a lot of I was um as I was talking about this with somebody recently I was uh reminding them that we had this reaction when books came around as well. Um and it's not a joke. I mean, you know, there have been countless uh quote unquote technologies over time that have that have scared us into thinking that um it's as uh, binary as um, you know, do or don't. Um, but I think the way that you express the spectrum of these experiences and and what parents can gain by sitting down and and learning more about what young people love about these things um, is so beneficial. I want to just give you a quick opportunity um, before we go to. Um, Plug away on Trend Micro's. Um, first of all, I don't think people know. I, I learned about Trend Micro um, doing some research uh, on your background, and so I hope you'll just do a thirty seconds about who who is Trend Micro and why are they. Um, you know, why are they uh, so bold all that time ago to um, underwrite y- your founding of this organization? And then I wanted to give you a, a moment to um, plug away on resources that you can draw. We can use the show to draw families and, and hopefully teachers too.
2: Absolutely. Thank you, Mark. Um, so Trend Micro actually is one of the world's largest uh, security software and services companies in the world. And We've been around for more than 30 years, but around, as I said, 13 years ago, we decided that while it's important to develop great technology to protect individuals all the way up through large organizations from some of the more obvious dangers online, things like malware and scams and and so on, um, we felt very strongly that to achieve our corporate vision of making the world safe for the exchange of digital information, we needed to couple that with education. So it's a wonderful organization. I've, I've been there for almost 20 years this September and never, never thought I'd ever say that. Um, having lived in Silicon Valley pre- previously where you know the tenure at a, mm-hmm. at a company is, is not very long. Round of fruit flies, life. I think, <laughs> and but the, the the organization is very supportive. It's just part of our culture to care about others, and this program that we st- started is free to communities anywhere. We're active in twenty countries around the world. We've th- we've reached almost three million kids, parents and teachers in those places over the years and our work is largely fueled by volunteers within our organization. We are very grateful to the third party organizations that we partner with as well, everyone from nonprofits to um, even other technology companies, government and law enforcement organizations. and my favorite part of my job is i get to explore and learn and then share what i know with communities parents kids alike about technologies that my kids are loving and learning at the same time so what one thing i i know i can say with certainty is that as much as we want to be able to share with parents and kids around the world, how to be great digital citizens, I don't think our work will ever be done. We will never be done because as long as there are new children being born into the world every day, new parents trying to raise them, and the speed at which technology evolves, I don't think will ever be done, and I'm okay with that. Definitely feels more like a calling than a job. The resources that we want people to be aware of and know that they are accessible to them at no charge are, first of all, our parent nights. We've been holding these virtually now since last fall. We normally would have been in communities face-to-face around the world. And actually, in some countries, we are back face to face, because uh, depending on where you are in the world, the the pandemic is in a different stage. Mm. Um, but at least in the United States, uh, they can visit our schedule of events at internetsafety.trendmicro.com events, and you will see all of the sessions that we plan on hosting across the country for the remainder of this academic year, and we'll continue this by the way, probably long into the future. If they go to our website, they will also see free resources on everything from how do I deal with screen time to how do I handle gaming and my kids? How do I make sure that video chatting apps with my family is safe, Um, uh, as well as some of the more recent topics around the issues I think that people are more concerned with of late, and that is misinformation, disinformation, um, whether it's around the vaccine or, or just in general.
0: Lynette, I can't thank you enough for spending time, and uh, no doubt we will continue to uh, scratch on this topic for lots of um, time to come. Um, Lynette Owens is the Global Director for Internet Safety for Kids at Trend Micro. Lynette, thanks so much for doing this.
2: Thank you, Mark.
0: Lynette touched on the fact that screen time isn't just a pandemic parent concern, Technology has been here, it always will be here. The key isn't worrying about how much time our children are spending with technology, it's framing it around are they learning to use it productively? She argues that it's an interesting time for us to take this as an opportunity to teach digital citizenship.
3: I'm Mimi Ito. Uh, I'm a research scientist at the University of California, Irvine. Uh, I direct the Connected Learning Lab there. And I also am co-founder of a nonprofit called Connected Camps that offers online project-based learning experiences for kids.
0: Mimi is a cultural anthropologist at UC Irvine, and author of Hanging Out, Messing Around, and Geeking Out, Kids Living and Learning with New Media. Dr. Ito has a lot to add about the generation gap she's observed, not only in digital media and what that means for us, but the gap in how much adults will stigmatize technology when it's kids who are the users. Mimi, first of all, thank you for doing this. I'm really excited we have a chance uh, to record some conversation. I... um, I... I hope we know each other well enough to for you to know that I don't I'm I'm a pretty sincere person. And and uh, at least I try to be. And um, you are one of those people who I was so excited um, to get to do the show, in part because I've never had a conversation uh, between us that wasn't meaningful to me that I didn't, I wasn't thinking about afterwards. And I feel like those are always, as I um, get a little older, and I think about who surrounds me in my life and my work, and uh, it, it feels like such a good... Um, A good part of the rubric for who you have around you, you know, if if your conversation sort of lasts. So thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it.
3: Well, thank you, Mark. I definitely feel like we've been fellow travelers in this very interesting journey around technology and learning and equity and everything else.
0: It's so true. One of the things I've been dying to ask you um, in this, you know, COVID moment You've been doing work around young people and uh, digital environments for a long time. And what I'm most curious about, because I don't – I think that people – I can only imagine, make the mistake of coming to you to ask questions about – to to sort of like separate signal from noise on what's happening with young people in all of these digital environments because they're all so different. And as a cultural anthropologist, um, I would imagine – not to put words in your mouth, but it feels like your your work over time has really been about – um, narrowing what's unique about those environments, not necessarily generalizing across um, this vat, what has now become such a ubiquitous sort of digital landscape that um, kids traverse. So, I, so if you had one thing you wish people would realize about digital environments and young people, the relationship uh, between those two things that you've learned over time, what would you point to that feels relevant in this COVID or, or even looking forward to the post-COVID reality? Like, what are the most relevant things that you wish you could just sort of remind people?
3: It's an interesting question. I think you're right that I've been observing how teens, kids adopt digital technologies, whatever's new at the time for, you know, almost two decades now. And the thing that's been quite consistent throughout that is, this generation gap in perception between grownups and adults, not necessarily a gap in perception about what's valuable about digital technology and connection, social media, games, whatever it might be, but the gap in how much adults devalue, stigmatize, and pass judgment when it's kids using the technology. So I think that as the, even as the technology changes and now grownups are on Twitter and Facebook and have an experiential basis for using FaceTime to connect with each other, um, even despite that, there's still this very resilient belief that when teens and kids use technology, it's um, trivial, unimportant, and a negative influence on their life overall. And that is the kind of cultural divide that I've been trying <laughs> for many, many years now to convince adults that just like they use technology as a lifeline to stay in touch with their aging parents or to do work, young people also see these technologies as lifelines to social connection, emotional support, to learning, to work, everything they care about.
0: The personalization that has been at the top of everybody's mind in the context of education certainly relates in this context of um, what things are engaging young people digitally as well, right? And, and, um, It feels in part like what's important about this moment, too, is that just the question, like I do have, I have three kids of school age, and um, it is not universal that young people, there's nothing universal about uh, what fires my kids up in terms of uh, what environments they gravitate to. Um, And I'm constantly trying to make smart decisions about uh, what in in parent speak is often sort of reduced to screen time. But I wonder what you're noticing about the conversation related to COVID right now and whether there are insights about, let's call it screen time for for the moment, that feel valid and, and worth watching and then ones that you feel like you wish would go away because they're sort of diluting um, what's interesting about this moment?
3: Yeah, I think COVID has really created a new opening for the conversation that adds a little bit more nuance to that whole term screen time, which itself is just the term itself is so problematic, because it assumes that the important variable is whether it's on a screen or not, Mm. not what the nature of the activity is. So I think that What's happened during COVID is that uh, parents have direct visibility into uh, both what kids are doing in terms of their stuff for fun, but also the stuff they're doing for school. And that's opened up the visibility into the school based stuff is quite new for parents, and that changes the conversation, I think, relevant for some of our work around um, education and education technology. On the screen time side, usually don't use the term screen time to describe education, so that itself Mm -hmm. has sort of complicated the dialogue about it. But I think parents, for the first time, fairly universally have the experience of having to rely on digital media as their primary source of social and emotional support. And I think that just like we, you know, as we talk to educators about technology, we really push for that experiential thing, right? I can say to parents, you know, just remember when your friends were really important, and you really wanted to see them. And remember that emotional connection and the importance of what that was like. And that's happening in social media now. And you can say that, but now parents experienced it. And so it's a little bit harder for them to pass judgment on the fact that their kids might be on social media, or they might be on gaming platforms. And then they see the fact that, you know, especially gaming, which is hugely stigmatized, that's really the playground. And I think they maybe understood it intellectually, but realizing that you know, whether it's Roblox or Minecraft or Fortnite, the gamers are actually doing fine socially Mm. under COVID as long as their parents aren't getting crazy about the screen time because they have a place to hang out and be connected and have a good time. And, you know, there's research that's come out during COVID that's really underlined the fact that, you know, these kids who have already had gaming At the center of their social lives, have transitioned quite comfortably. Now, I think it's been harder for kids who have athletics or, you know, performance or other kinds of interests. It's been much harder. But I do think that for the parents with, you know, kids who are gamers, there's a new recognition that, you know, those social relationships, they're not all bad just because they're happening through digital games. And I think recognizing, too, that social media may be performing a function that is actually positive and essential for young people. I think that realization has definitely percolated in a way that wasn't around before
0: COVID. Yeah, I'm really grateful for the time, Amy. Great.
3: Thanks so much, Mark. Bye.
0: For more info about advertising with us, sponsoring the show, or if you have story ideas you want to share, find me on Twitter at M.A. Lesser. My thanks to No Such Thing production intern, the fabulous Margot Seton. The tracks in this podcast were produced by Leroy Tindy, a guest in episode zero hailing from the Bronx, New York, and engineer of style and fresh beats. Find him on SoundCloud at Air Tindy Beats. No Such Thing is produced by me, Mark Lesser, a learner like you. And our show notes can be found at nosuchthingpodcast.org.